My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page 2 Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. Today, we talk with Tom Rayner, digital marketing and strategy consultant at Raynernomics and co-founder and head of digital strategy at Yondo. Tom is my first interviewee from across the pond and is based in London. Woohoo! We talk about his beginnings as a copywriter and how that led him into a career in SEO. We also talk about a number of other things, including why SEO still feels like an add-on in many brands' marketing strategy, how to win the hearts and minds of your clients, the importance of looking at competitors to improve your own business cases. This was a new one for me using a performance-based compensation model with your clients, the Yoskan situation and Tom's amazing Twitter rampage, sexual harassment, the conference circuit, gender equality and inclusiveness, and fighting imposter syndrome and being okay with not knowing everything. It is okay. So get ready for what I think is a really valuable and informative conversation as we tell Tom's SEO story. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is Jacob Stoops, and I am here with Tom Rayner, digital marketing and strategy consultant consultant at Raynernomics and co-founder and head of digital strategy at Yondo. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am awesome. So Tom is joining me from London, where they're currently having a blackout. (laughs) So if things go dark, uh, you will you will know why. Um, But yeah, definitely appreciate him joining me by what I can only imagine is candlelight. Yep. Blackouts and Brexit votes. It truly is the end of days here in the UK. Right, right, and I, uh, I, I feel like I am, I am so far, so far from that. Although we do have Donald Trump as as president, so uh, maybe yeah. the political landscape here isn't isn't uh, isn't so far from there in terms of all of the uh, the chaos. But I try to keep myself removed from from any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not willing to trade just yet, but I'll keep you in touch. Right, right. Uh, so, Tom, can you tell our audience just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a digital marketing consultant, as the title suggests, but mainly based in SEO work. Uh, kind of entered the industry at the tail end of the last decade and really got into it at the beginning of this one. I've done work in-house. I've done work for agencies. I've done work contracting and now running my little agency as well while also running some affiliate websites, general kind of like e-commerce and websites as well, mainly on SEO, but obviously across digital wherever I can. So that's PPC, that's paid social quite a lot in the last few years. And um, yeah, you might also remember me from numerous uh, Twitter storms and Twitter rants, um, which I've seen to be getting infamy from. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good little mix, a good little experience I've had and um, yeah, well, one thing I'm finding right now with the agency side of things is people actually coming to me because, well, weirdly, one, because of the Twitter stuff, but two, actually, I think it's paying benefits to say, hey, look, I'm someone who used to be in your shoes trying to work with an agency in-house. Um, so it's interesting to see uh, the search landscape from both sides of the fence. So 
before we get into into the Twitter stuff, which I definitely want to dive into, um, <laughs> how how did you get into SEO? Like, what inspired you about SEO, and, and what made you say, "Yeah, that's that's for me." Oh, it didn't inspire me when I was a kid at all. I had no idea what it was. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I I, I actually well, first of all, I tried to study law at university. And I got kicked out because it was useless. Then I went to a different university and I studied English language and literature, which, you know, obviously when you graduate is pretty useless. Um, but I had, you know, high aspirations of being a copywriter. You know, um, I think I just finished, you know, the entire season, like all the seasons I could get of Mad Men at the time. And I thought, yeah, right, this is going to be really cool. I'm going to do this. And so obviously I went to agencies and I did do a bit of work copywriting. And then this is still, you know, this is still back in, you know, 2009, 2010, where, you know, scrape box and everything was still ruling the waves in SEO, but people were slowly, slowly kind of moving more towards content-based, like link building approaches and basically paying more attention to content anyway. So I came on board, started doing this copywriting, asked the question what this copy is actually going, you know, towards and what it's being used for, got introduced to this thing called SEO. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Didn't think much of it. Six months down the line, the agency I was working with said, hey, look, we um, need someone to kind of get trained up on this to handle a few more accounts. So I thought, oh, okay, I may as well add another string to my bow. And then, yeah, I'm sure this is something like a lot of people have said to you in the past is you kind of get a bit of a bug when, you know, you do this work and you see it get applied and then you see this website that you're working on suddenly start ranking for these keywords that you dreamed of. And, you know, once that kind of, you know, started showing, which you know, it was a pretty like weird and like wonderful feeling. I thought, yeah, this could be really, really cool. And so I doubled down more on that side, less so on the copywriting side of things, let that dream die along with many others I've had in the past. And then it kind of snowballed from there Went, you know, worked at that agency, moved to London and went somewhere in in-house, a uh, different kind of environment. And then it just went from there. And I've, I've been really fascinated by not just SEO, but kind of like marketing and acquisition ever since you know it's a it's a dangerous question as a copywriter to uh to go back to the seo folks and say what is what's this all about right (laughs) (laughs) Right. you you opened up a pandora's box for for yourself um but but, but that part is may may not have been as important then but uh today it's 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 absolutely absolutely crucial to to understand um, what, what's going on from a copywriting standpoint and how that, how that matches search intent, so on and and so forth. Oh man. I mean, like I wish I, you know, it's so many ways I wish I kind of kept it up and I kind of kept up, you know, my copywriting slash ability or lack of thereof. You know, I look at uh, people like uh, Joel Klecky and I look at people like Joanna Weeb and uh, copy hackers and I look at the stuff they put out and I think, God, it's not only is it brilliant, but I think, you know, it's obviously focused towards conversion. It's, it's looking at, you know, uh, persona, well, not persona so much, you know, that's something that Jimmy Daly and animals like to steer people away from when they're thinking of content, which is definitely something I'd, I'd really recommend reading um, is their blog. But, you know, just looking into also, buyer personas and where people are in their journey. I kind of wish I kept that up because people in the copywriting industry 
and business have been talking about that for years and years and years. And it only seems to be now, or, you know, maybe like the last year, last 18 months where people on our side, quote unquote, SEO people, mm-hmm. um, are now taking that into account when looking at, you know, rankings, like in search intent, user intent that you were talking about, I think, you know, it's something that's going crazy right now in terms of what people are writing about and what people are trying to understand about it. And actually what Google's trying to understand about it since, you know, what seems like, you know, the second half of 2018. So if I had any sense, I would have kept that, you know, string to my bow and kept it up and then I'd be, you know, rolling in the money. But alas, here I am. So one of the, it's funny because I, I think my reason for, for originally starting this podcast was, and the original premise was, I, I want to talk about, not myself, right? I don't want to be the, the, the podcast that is just focused on trying to prove out that I'm the smartest person in, in the room. And I think I've said that a, a couple of times in many episodes, because I know that there are much, much smarter people out there. But my my approach was to focus more on the the actual people end of things and what SEOs go through and and to talk to smarter people than than myself. And uh, I think one of the side effects is that you do get knowledge sharing. But one of the things that um, a, a couple of my copywriting who transitioned into SEO role friends experienced was the feeling of being kind of boxed in and uh, you know starting out as in some cases a journalism background or an English background or, or whatever getting into copywriting at an agency and then just being boxed in and not being allowed to move into a strategy role for fear that oh my god a copywriter how could they ever do strategy right I and, and I've said like it would be a lot harder for an SEO to go be a copywriter than for a copywriter to become an SEO and back um, you know, when I was at a, a different agency and we were kind of experiencing that, um, and I, I wasn't, but watching the copywriters on our team kind of go through being boxed in, I don't get the sense that maybe you went through that, but did you, did you go through any of that as you were kind of transitioning into becoming an SEO? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is you get it now, uh, it's a couple of things in that little, in that little bit that you said then, which I thought were really interesting is. Well, first of all, the smartest person in the room is the one that sits and listens, right? It's the person that actually takes yeah. into account like what everyone's saying. Mm-hmm. You listen, they listen, they're quiet, and then they speak and they act. So actually, I think it's quite a nice little thing for your podcast is that, you know, you're inviting all these people on. They're sharing, you know, amazing amount of knowledge and wealth. And it's really, really interesting as a, as a listener, but also great for you because actually what you're getting is like a whole bunch of genius people in like the same podcast be able to listen to their reply and actually be like, Oh, like, you know, there'll, there'll be something that you take away from every single bit of that. Sure. You'll be able to apply in your day to day. I'm sorry. I won't be able to obviously add to that, but you know, it's a nice thought. <laughs> but anyway, but, so that's one thing, but yeah, I mean, look, it's funny as an SEO industry, you talk to a lot of SEO. It's like, I'm exaggerating. I'm using exaggerations here, but I know if you're able to talk to a few people in the industry, people do struggle with imposter syndrome even when they enter SEO. So we have a quite funny little clique in the industry where knowledge sharing is really encouraged, but at the same time, really, really private. Um, 
you know, it's quite a, an odd little paradox. Um, you know, you get, sometimes you get really, you know, welcomed and praised if you share some stuff and then other times you kind of get lambasted for it. Um, there's a really, uh, um, Ollie Mason, the guy who does OGM, he wrote a really wonderful blog post, which basically just encouraged the industry to encourage sharing more and, you know, people to experiment more and to try and do away with the whole, um, you know, oh, well, I've known about this for years or actually you're not right because my data says this. It's like, it's, it's not actually about that. It's encouraging people to explore, discover, fail and win and then learn from that experience and repeat it over and over again. So people in the SEO industry kind of have that little conflict and quandary to get over. People entering the SEO industry, yeah, definitely do. And, you know, this kind of boxing and shoehorning thing. Um, well, speaking from SEO, on a personal perspective, maybe this is because my own experience has moved away from being in-house and then moved in to do my own thing, my own agency stuff. But I feel like the days of a just a technical SEO or just an offsite SEO or, you know, even just a link builder within an agency or a company is kind of numbered. I feel like you do need to be able to have, you know, the ability to do all of SEO if you're within an agency or a company. If you're doing it freelance, I mean, actually, you know, there's some fantastic individual freelancers who specialize in one thing and you think that's, that's my guy or that's my gal and I need to get out there and need to talk to these people. I think that's great. But I think SEO has kind of opened up into what it means, you know, in, in terms of um, what you must offer to a company. But then beyond that, well, SEO is a funny thing because SEO has always been like, I don't, well, I, I will say it. I know someone like John Henry Shirk um, thinks this as well. He, you know, it's kind of the little kid on the big boy's table. You know, it's, you've got all these other marketing channels and then you've got SEO and in companies still, it still felt, feels like an add-on. And in, when you go into bat for SEO, it feels like you're not always taken too seriously. So that's kind of a hurdle that people need to overcome. I think because SEO being a bit of a, uh, well, rather organic search could be a bit of a unique channel in terms of attribution. Um, I think that kind of plays into it. It's not impossible to obviously attribute very granularly what you do SEO wise and what you actually bring in terms of uplift, but it's a bit more difficult than say PPC. So there's that little barrier to get over, you know, so I've definitely feel, I've definitely felt it getting into the industry. I felt it in the middle part of my industry and I feel it even now. I know in the next year, there's going to be something that, oh, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to be completely behind on or I feel like I'm going to be boxed in. Like, you know, JavaScript and SEO, you know, I, I, I pretend I understand it, but I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> like, I understand like, oh, well, you know, you know, Google has a harder time crawling JavaScript, but it can actually do it. And I'm like, well, I didn't, that doesn't mean, I don't know what that means. You know, put it, put it in layman's to, I am a layman when it comes to that. Please put it in terms I understand. And I feel like I'm going to be left behind with it, but I don't know, maybe I won't be. So there's always something around the corner. And the only encouragement I would give to people is everyone's kind of winging it. Don't worry if you're not completely up to date on every single fact um, this industry does actually share knowledge quite well. If you ask, sometimes you need to ask in the right way, but you'll, you know, there's always going to be something else and you need to kind of uh, roll, roll with it a little bit and don't worry about it too much. If you're going to, if you feel like you need to strive and you feel like you're in that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is, it's huge. I've, I know that I've suffered from it 
myself. I, I know that many folks that um, that I've talked to have suffered from it. You know, getting getting into the industry or even being in the industry for um, for a long time. I still I still suffer from it from from time to time. Um, definitely a difficult thing to to get through. And what I loved about what you just did is it doesn't sound like you're you're afraid to admit that you don't know everything. Um, and I think that that's actually a, a, a great, a great thing like JavaScript and, and SEO. I feel like I've got a, a decent handle on it, but you know what? I don't have a decent handle on local. And, and I know that there are lots of SEOs that, that can, you know, really do a great job with, with that. And I know enough to be dangerous, but right. Am I like the leading expert? Nope. Nope. And, uh, yep. I agree. It's, right. It's, there's, there's it's, lots it's, of areas. It's a lot shorter list to say what I do know than what I don't know. Put it that way. <laughs> exactly. That's okay. You know, you it know, enough to get by. You carry on. You build on that experience. I wish my one wish is that we encourage people to get out there and test and and kind of and fail, obviously, and also succeed. But then write about it, and then um, people say like, "Well, okay, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Maybe have a look at this next time," rather than people feeling like, oh my God, I've made a complete mess up. I, I need to just bury my head in the sand and just hope no one will ever see me again sort of thing. So, so you brought up a, a couple of interesting things and this is, this is going to lead into your Twitter account. So, uh, so if you don't follow Tom's Twitter account, uh, we'll make sure we promote it later, but it's at TJP Rayner. Uh, that's Rayner, R-A-Y-N-E-R, highly Highly recommend it, and um, if for nothing else, to to watch his 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 rants, especially especially recently. But one thing you brought up was the way that SEO is perceived in in companies, and I've experienced this as well, um, where there's there there's always more of a focus on on paid, and there's always and and maybe that's for the better. But from everything that I from, from everything that I know, SEO drives. 80 to 90% of the traffic and gets 10 to 20% of the, the spend. And I think that the reason people um, tend to lean more towards wanting to know more about and wanting to care more about paid is because it is easier to understand the, the nuances and it's a very clean, this is what I put in, this is what I got out. And with, with SEO, it's not necessarily always always that way, even though SEO tends to be the most efficient channel over the course of, of time. And it's, it's not always that way. And one of your tweets, and I'm just going to read it, uh, this is paraphrasing your tweet, you get over that first hurdle with a client to win their heart and mind, as Andrew, who I believe is your brother, puts it, and everything snowballs from there. The first hurdle is always the toughest. So can you explain that? How do you get over that hurdle? Do you say Andrew is my brother? Uh, you quoted Andrew from, I believe, Optimize, whose yeah. last name is also Rainer. Am I, am I, it? Am I finding the wrong, the wrong one? <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless my family didn't tell me something I don't oh, know. Okay. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> um, I've, well, to be fair, I've actually only, I've only been Rainer for, um, well, less than a year. I, I took oh. my wife's name when we got married. Um, oh, okay. I was, I was, yeah. I was, me off a little bit. Yes. So his name yeah. is Rainer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I was Roberts before that, but you know, okay. it damaged my reputation so much. I had to change it. Um, yeah. No, uh, no, I, I liked, I liked that 
tweet that um, Andrew originally sent out originally for a lot of the reasons that I've already said, you know, actually that someone's saying, well, look, here's the work I did. Here's the effect. It's not got this huge wide chart that people, you know, want to see, you know, tens and thousands. It's only, it's only tens and twenties, but um, it's enough to make the client excited and it's enough to bring an extra business to them. So it's a great thing. And that's the ultimate, that is the ultimate success. If you're bringing in more business to your client, they're delighted with it and you've won them over. That is it. And like I said in the tweet, that's the hardest part uh, to get over. Um, and yeah, so getting over that first hurdle um, to try and remember the question that you asked me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get over that first hurdle. Well, we thing is, it's the benefit of having experience, um, like which I think I have now, is that you can be you can push back a little bit more on what people's assumptions are when it comes to SEO, and actually what people's assumptions are when it comes to digital marketing in general. I think we've got to be careful by saying when we say um, SEO is harder to attribute than paid. For you know, if you assume that all data is accurate, I think with paid and paid social and other channels, it's a lot easier to get a marketing perspective out of the data you see, but it's not exactly, it's not always, and actually often it's not the right marketing perspective or actually the right accurate attribution on that side. And then doubly so with um, SEO. By that, I mean, you know, when people are looking at paid and paid social, often they'll be reporting on all kinds of conversions, not taking into account second touch attribution or first touch attribution or U-shaped attribution. People won't be taking into account brand when it comes to that. But as SEOs, we don't help ourselves because a lot of the time people report on organic traffic and conversions and also don't take into account this consumer funnel. Um, Don't take into account all the different touch points and also don't take into account brand versus non-branded keywords. Now, if you ask me as an SEO, your job really is to improve your company's or your client's non-branded keyword presence. Yep. Right. You can influence brand uh, by doing some great kind of SEO work. I get that. But so do all these other other channels. It isn't your direct influence. Now, now hopefully in 2019, you've probably got a brand now that has brand name as a, a, a you know, brand name.com or brand name.co.uk. And then you've got your internal pages as, the pages that you want to rank for your, your core terms, your content clusters, your hope and spoke, yada, yada. What I always see people do is just act, like attribute organic traffic and, and um, conversions just based on the root domain and actually not actually looking at the internal pages themselves in Google Analytics or Omniture. So actually they're just trying to bucket in SEO all as one big, um, you know, as one big channel going into the website as a whole. That's not actually your direct influence. Your direct influence is on those internal pages. So start reporting on those internal pages, right? So looking at the organic traffic that's going into there, looking at the first touch uh, attribution, which you can see in GA, it's completely free. It's in there, you know, looking at, I want to see users that converted, which had organic search as its first touch, not necessarily its last touch, and I want to see it on this landing page or this landing page or this landing page or this group of landing pages, get into GA, create that segment and look into that. That's when you start looking at 
your influence over conversions. That's when you start looking at your influence over traffic. You scale that back a bit. So, okay, that's the traffic end. So what do I see before that as a diagnostic metric? I see obviously rankings. So you look at rankings and then, you know, everyone knows how to look at a rank tracker. Everyone knows how to use Ahrefs or, or SEMrush or Accurank or whatever it is. And do the increase in rankings there correlate with the increase in traffic? If it does, great. If it doesn't, so you've got all this additional traffic uh, coming in, but actually your rankings haven't changed. Okay, so what's actually changed on the search engine result page? Using a tool like Serpu, uh, for example, on this will give you a good idea in terms of, well, actually have any of my competitors dropped off. Using a tool like Ahrefs and a few others will actually look at the search page itself and say, well, actually have I won the featured snippet? Has the featured snippet dropped off? Has the landscape of that search page changed? You know, are, did there used to be news articles in there? Now these news articles aren't in there. Did there used to be images? Now they're gone. Uh, people stop bidding on that term. So organic's getting a higher promotion on the page. Look at that as well. That's all part of your SEO quote unquote analytics. Scale that back even more. You look at, okay, what goes into higher rankings? Then, you know, you start looking at your backlinks and, uh, you know, don't report on backlinks metrics saying, hey, look, we've got, 20 new links from, you know, a site with Trustflow 20 and a DR of 15 and a DA of whatever the hell it is this week because Mars just updated it, you know, but look, you know, you can go back and attribute what you did offsite and then see the correlation and yeah, correlation doesn't always equal causation, but if you're breaking it down on that real granular level, you're not looking at the site as a whole. You're looking at those direct keywords that you're trying to rank for those content clusters that you're trying to rank for on the internal page. If you build links and then you get higher rankings and then you see higher traffic entering those pages and then you see more attributed organic search, that's what people want to see. And that's it. No one, <laughs> they, don't really, they don't really care about really like how you did it unless you're going to jeopardize the company by doing some really crap blog network. Um, they want to see your direct influence. I think people start from a place where they're not actually showing their direct influence of their work. So I'd start with that and that's going to win over heart and minds. And then I would just like the way I've just kind of ranted on here, begin to communicate, take, uh, begin to communicate to a client just what it is that you will be able to influence and then how you and I, i.e. you and the client or you and the company will be able to track it. You need to educate them in terms of what they expect because you'll know this. Everyone's an SEO expert, aren't they? Like, you know, you go to any kind of C-suite, you go to any kind of head of marketing or director of marketing or MD and they say, oh, I know a little bit about SEO and it's, it's a really dangerous thing because actually, no, you probably don't. But they want to be, you know, people say that, but they still want to be told. They still want to be told, actually, this is the way it is. You make it as clear and granular for them as possible. 80% you're there your next 20% is actually getting the results. You know, so I think that's, I think that's really going to make a big difference if people just start shifting their mindset in terms of what it is you should be measuring and then actually telling that person how are you going to measure it and changing their mind if they need to have it changed. And, and I think that's where, that's where it can lead to hangups, uh, both on kind of your side and on, on, on a client's side. Um, in terms of that understanding, because if you're, if you're talking to a, to a C level, right, they may know a little bit of SEO, but they're looking at that bottom, bottom line. And when you come to them and say, Hey, the reason SEO traffic isn't, isn't as high as you want it to is because I've submitted 
50 tickets with your team and we've implemented four. And the four that we've implemented are non-critical because they were easy for them to do. And the harder ones to implement, they, they couldn't get to because they've already got a, a roadmap or a timeline or whatever. They just couldn't fit those, those in. That type of stuff doesn't always necessarily matter. They're just looking at the raw inputs and outputs. And then the flip side of that is that there are times when I've had clients come to me and say, I want to know the impact of every single change that we're making. For example, I want to know how much incremental traffic we're going to get from making this alt tag change. And it's like, well, that's that we know that that's a, that's a, that's a best practice and absolutely something that you should do. But like, okay, it's going to be difficult for me to attribute that small change to how many incremental visits you're going to get across your entire site. So there's, there's kind of got to be somewhere, somewhere in the middle where you have to be as an SEO. And I saw something really great. Um, and I wish I would have remember who said it, um, three or four weeks ago where it, it was kind of just talking about situations that large brands and large sites kind of find themselves in when it comes to SEO. And, and I'm paraphrasing cause I, I can't remember the quote exactly, but the way that they described it was just almost perfect, right? Uh, if you imagine you're a large website, you're, you're, um, millions of pages or, or even thousands of pages, you're, you're suffering under the weight of your website. And, and one small change um, isn't always necessarily going to make a noticeable impact. Two small changes might not. Three small changes may not. And it's kind of like turning a ship, right? Turning a big ship around. But once you start to build that momentum and get enough things implemented over the course of time, then you'll be able to affect that, affect that change. And, and more importantly, show it and, and win those hearts and hearts and minds of your clients. Once you can actually show them, Hey, we did thing X, Y, Z, ABC, and that led to incremental impact. But if you're just focusing on what incremental impact X had, that's kind of what that, that was kind of the, the, the gist of one of, one of my kind of statements there. Um, it can be difficult, but yeah. Winning hearts and minds, absolutely important, and showing them the results is, is important, but understanding the um, what goes into that, <laughs> I guess it depends on who, who you're talking to, because I, I, my experience has been that sea levels don't necessarily always care, and that some people care too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think that analogy is really, really great. It sounds like it was definitely a smarter person than me who said it. Right, um, me too. <laughs> Really great. And I think one of the things you um, said at the beginning that I'm conscious of the fact as well, when I was uh, my previous explanation and this one, I'm speaking from a, well, almost like a privileged position to be able to say, look, I'm a consultant. I've got this much experience and you're coming to me with a solution. So I've automatically kind of won their heart and mind over a little bit and be able to say, well, I'm the authority and I'm the expert on this. So they are going to be more receptive to listen. Now, if you're uh, an exec or a manager in an agency or a company without that much experience, it can be difficult. And then you also threw in the curveball of, I want to get these changes done. Dev team hasn't done it. What can we do there? Right. That's obviously a really big thing. So uh, there's one little uh, tip maybe I'd, uh, I'd encourage a lot of people to start doing. Um, this is something I did with American Express um, with one of their, in their credit card kind of category, is uh, looking at 
adjusting. I think in their example is adjusting a bit of their site architecture or their internal linking or something like that. But obviously when putting together your use case and why you want to do it and you say it's following best practices, actually go out and find an example that you know of, of a website that did this and the impact that it had. Now, if you're in a big agency, if you've got a tool like Search Metrics or Bright Edge, or if you've got a full featured um, Ahrefs plan, one of the bigger ones, um, you can actually uh, go back and look at keyword history or rankings um, way back like a year or two years ago. Uh, Pi Data Metrics does this as well. I think uh, uh, GetStat would do it as well. Um, go back and f- you know find that um, best-in-class example that you've got. Uh, go into the internet archive and see what it used to be like in 2017, 2016, or whatever it is. Notice where they had the change, and then go and marry up whether if they made a change that you think they had, uh, they implemented, and it, you thought it, it increased their organic traffic and visibility. Go into the internet archive, find the before, find the after, and then correlate that with the rankings for those core terms. Um, and then say, you know, present to the client and say, well, look, I can't give an impact of what this will do um, until it's been implemented. And there are all these other things we want to implement as well. But look, uh, Alex's example was, uh, this is Barclays. Barclays built this um, interactive quiz. Barclays then got a lot of backlinks to this interactive quiz. Then after two or three months, they added a link to this uh, credit card category and this credit card category at the bottom. When they did that, rankings went from X to Y. And then that obviously, that's the impact, right? That you've actually shown them the impact that it was for that client or that competitor. As soon as you start throwing in competitors, it's like, oh, oh, okay, well, we definitely need to do it as well because you just kind of ego bait people into action. But the thing is, that can take a lot of work. I understand that. Um, but once you've found one example for one of your cases, more often than not, that's all you need. You know, backlink examples are a good example, you know, are quite an easy one because you can find when a backlink gets placed and then, you know, rankings kind of correlate, all that kind of stuff. But finding stuff like um, mega menu changes or internal linking changes or additional content and getting added to a page, you know, go in the internet archive, try and find a pre, you know, example of a web page that is ranking now uh, well, either for your competitors industry or something similar, find that, try and find the ranking correlation between that and any kind of increase using Ahrefs or one of the other tools that I found. And then, you know, show that to the client. And then that's part of your black book. You know, you can put that away. And then when you work with someone else or you work on another client or another company in the future, you've got that in your repertoire to pull out and saying, well, I think we should be adjusting the way that we're internal linking on the site. Here's a case study. There you go. You know, it's a lot more compelling by saying, than saying, I think we should be doing this because it's SEO best practice. You've actually got a tangible study. And then if you want to be really clever, you can say, well, look, by increasing um, organic rankings from position eight to position three, by doing this, the equivalent cost for PPC would have been why, you know, with the uh, SEMrush and the um, Ahrefs kind of estimates that they give you. And then you can actually put a monetary figure on it as well. And, you know, I often find that gets, you know, really good buy-in. That's funny that you say that because I think that um, for myself, I'm definitely guilty of being too focused on my own owned properties or or those of the clients and not looking outward enough. And that actually, I think, was a really compelling example of how you can 
tactically utilize uh, client or I'm sorry, competitor changes to prove out your business case to make your your own change. Because I'm always saying, always, always saying that implementation is the hardest part of SEO, not finding the opportunities, implementation and the psychological uh, ways that you have to go about proving the potential value. And that is a great, um, a great way. And then you've also brought up case studies. And I know that I'm, I myself am all, also guilty of not taking the time to build enough case studies, uh, especially at a granular level based on the, the, the work that we're doing, because we are, um, you know, in, in pockets, any, anytime you work at an agency, you're working with so many clients, there are successes that are going on. And that, that's not always, uh, always documented, especially at agencies, because it's so, you know, focused on you've got X amount of hours, and you've got to stick to that X amount of hours. And a lot of times that's more focused on the, um, the, the, the work itself. And people look at building case studies as like, hey, that's not that's not time you should spend on um, on client work. When in, in fact, it's actually uh, it's actually the opposite. It's helping you bolster your your recommendations. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you only got to do it once, right? Yeah. You know, and then it's you've got it for the future. By doing that, you're encouraging sharing within your agency or within your company of like a knowledge share and win share and success share, which breeds enthusiasm. Um, then you know you're getting into the habit then of sharing in a cross uh, client information with other clients, obviously anonymizing it because you're not a monster, but you know, um, you know, you're sharing that kind of information. So are you adding extra value to that account? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the way forward. Everyone's guilty of not doing it myself included. You know, you just kind of, you get a little bit complacent with it, but it's one of those things where you invest a bit of time in it initially, then actually it's such a huge time saver in the future. So, so let's switch gears so if you're if you're a part of SEO Twitter over the course of the last <laughs> you will notice that there was a kerfuffle uh, and I'm not a conference circuit SEO I, I probably never will be it's just not my my thing um, but I, I you, you can't be an SEO and not follow the things that come out of conferences from a knowledge sharing standpoint and unfortunately um, from a not so not so good standpoint as well in terms of the behavior of, of folks that uh, are in some cases very well known in the industry in relation to women and one of the things that prompted me to reach out to you was I thought that your rant and and it was an epic 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 rant was um, was was spot on and and uh, you made a lot of really great points but for those of for those people that did not see or follow the the rant or may not be aware of kind of what went on at YoastCon, um, not trying to be like the person that is going to super rehash something that's a month old, but I still think it's important to talk about. So, can you kind of go into into some of that and why you felt like you you needed to to say some of the things you said? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if anyone's listening to this, then they can still find that Twitter thread. Uh, pinned to the top of my profile because I'm an egomaniac like me, uh, egomaniac like that. Um, I can't even say the words. Um, to give it a praisey, it it came out over this um, Yoscon hashtag as uh, one of the perpetrators, perpetrators, you know, but one of the people uh, 
involved in this issue was Yoast um, and then people at YoastCon itself. So it kind of culminated in being released at YoastCon. It then coincided and purely coincidentally, actually, with a whole bunch of stuff other people were doing at the time, which made it snowball, quote unquote, viral, if you want to use that term. Um, and it went from there. So the, let's get down to it. The fundamental issue is that this industry, the SEO industry and digital marketing industry has either a subconscious or a conscious bias and prejudice against women. Mm -hmm. And this stems back a number of years. It goes back to 2010, 2011, 2012. It's still going on now prevalently. Um, you know, you only got to look at actually last year with uh, two incidents. One was at Learn Inbound. One was at Brighton SEO in the UK where people had, uh, a woman had reported that they'd either be the subject of unsavory comments or had actually been um, uh, approached or propositioned by a male conference attendee. So this is something that's still going on right now. Um, having looked at what had been going on over the years and what was you know, still going on, I just felt like something had to be said. Um, I'm lucky enough to call a number of women in this industry my friend, but it really actually stemmed from me looking at the industry itself and thinking, if my wife was going to enter this today, would I actually be comfortable with her going to conferences or actually would I be proud of her entering this industry with the way that we behave? And that answer in my head was no. And as soon as it was no, I thought, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, are you just going to sit and accept it as for what it is? Or actually, you're going to point out some of these things and some of these hypocrisies and do something. So I decided to do something, probably in the only way I knew how, which is to do a Twitter thread. And it just pointed out a number of instances over the years where this kind of laddish, sexist, misogynistic behavior was not just um, allowed, but actively encouraged. And people who have cultivated this culture are actually still people at the forefront of the industry today. Now, since I've had, I put this thread out, which was um, the 7th of February, I think, certainly the beginning of February. Mm -hmm. I've had, I think, over a hundred direct messages from different people. A number of people saying, good for you. A number of people saying, you know, you've got a silent, you know, kind of group behind you, which to which I say to them, try not to be silent, but I obviously understand not everyone can do that. Um, I understand the irony of being able to say all this as a, as a white British male. I completely understand that, but you know, say it nevertheless. And then there's women who've come up to me and said, I've shared this too. I've seen this too. And then I've had people come to me saying stuff like, well, you know, that was then this is now, or, you know, times have changed or this person has, you know, evolved or all that kind of stuff. And that's what really got me lately is that that's just, that's bullshit. That's a bullshit excuse to say that things have changed or, you know, times have changed. You know, there was a, there was a retort to a lot of the stuff that was said um, from uh, Mariek, um, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, from um, Yoast now the CEO of Yoast, in fact, went on to a, a, a WP Tonic podcast with Jonathan. And um, 
gave a retort. Now, I, I, I know nothing of Mariek. I would certainly not want to underestimate her, and I would certainly not want to put words in her mouth. But I thought that was quite interesting, how she, one of the things that she was saying was that, again, this kind of thing of uh, all these instances were happening 10 years ago, when actually we were talking about stuff that's happened very recently in 2012, this whole, this is like a, there's an internal meme in my head where 2012 is 10 years ago. And like, you know, what's 2022 like, you know, you people are in the future here, like what's going on. That's, that's a little side thing. But one of the things that kind of irked me was this, um, well, we need to start doing things in the right way. Um, quote unquote, right. You know, I would like to see what defines the right way. Cause I would have thought the right way would have been that, when these issues have been raised previously by many people, men and women involved, um, that would have been the right way. But then when they did that, people who have cultivated and encouraged this behavior and now continue to protect the people that do it or did it actually went on and chastised, discredited and demeaned those women that came forward. I would have thought the right way would have been, you know, not the way that people were openly and repeatedly, you know, flaunting and demeaning sex and, and talking about sexist behavior as if it wasn't a big deal. I thought it would have been the right way when someone said in 2012, this happened to me, and then people didn't do, seem to do anything about it. I thought it would have been the right way when um, Giselle Navarro, um, which is at Ishbin Giselle um, on Twitter, wrote this amazingly, you know, beautiful, articulate article on where the SEO industry is about elitism and sexual harassment. And then someone like Rand Fishkin, of all people, turns around and calls the article crap. I would have thought that would have been doing it the right way. You know, actually trying to encourage a conversation and talk about it and address this serious issue. The thing that's really disappointed me since is that the people that have been called out on this for their behavior and for their hypocrisy have circled the wagons, turned in, and have not wanted to engage. Now, that's, if they want to do that to me, that's fine. And if they want to call me like a Twitter troll or whatever it is, that's fine. I, I, you know, I can roll with that. But when someone like Giselle Navarro does it, or when someone like Jane Copeland does it, and a number of other women who've been talking and writing about these things come out and say it, why aren't you listening to those people? And why aren't you giving them the respect that they deserve? You know, but that doesn't seem to be happening. It just seems to be the right way when the quote unquote right people are talking about it. And it's just a whole bunch of bullshit, you know, and the thing that really disappoints me and actually really I feel really let down and quite emotional about is that with, without those voices in support, things won't change or things are going to be a lot harder to change. Now, my own mindset to this is kind of turned around to like, well, okay, you don't need them. Do something else. And I'm hoping to announce something in the next couple of weeks that's really going to be looking to advance this industry in terms of inclusion and in terms of um, equality and in terms of sexism and really do something about it. And so keep tuned for that one, mm -hmm. but people should be talking about it more. And 
I keep getting these DMs from people saying, oh, well, you know, you don't understand the nuance of it or someone has changed. You know, you've got to allow people, you know, the ability to evolve as a person. And you absolutely should 100% agree with that. But what about talking to the people that you've abused and hurt along the way? I, I, I see a lot of these people actively promoting this kind of behavior and what it was like at SEO Oktoberfest, et cetera, so many years ago and benefiting from the profile that it created and continuing to benefit from their position of power now because of that kind of clique that was created in there. I don't see a lot of publicly facing apologies or a lot of publicly facing um, acknowledgements of what they've done in the past being wrong. Now, if you don't think it's wrong, okay, that's your choice. But I think if an industry wants to hold itself to a better account and agree that treating women like sex objects or calling them sluts in your public website and your public Twitter feed isn't acceptable, then I think you need to come out and say the same thing. Or at the very least, privately or publicly, come out to the people and especially the women that you've abused along the way and tell them that you're sorry and tell them you've changed. But no, all that's happened is people circling the wagons, people turning in on, the, uh, turning in on themselves and away from the industry that actually I think still wants to talk about it. I've been really taken aback by how many people have really picked up on this message. And, not, and most disappointingly of all, not wanting to address help or acknowledge the women that they've hurt. And that's what really gets me. And that's what really disappoints me. And until that changes, and hopefully I can help be a part of that change in a positive way in the future, then I'm going to remain disappointed and I'm going to be remaining to um, keep on talking about it and keep on calling it out. Yeah. So there, there, there there's a lot to, un, to unpack. And um, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate you being willing to, say, um, say all, all of that. I think that it, that's all really important in, in said in a, in a really eloquent way that I'm sure that I'm about to butcher. <laughs> um, and it's, it's kind of a weird, weird thing, right? So if you were not a part of the SEO scene in the late nineties, early two thousands up to 2005 to 10 somewhere, right? Um, a lot of the people that are at the forefront of the industry and are, and are names now made their bones right about then, right? So that there, there is a certain click. And I did see something a while ago that I felt like kind of perfectly described it. And I, again, I can't remember exactly who, but it was so accurate. It might have been one of the people you mentioned that there's a certain subset of people or, or a part of this industry where you have to kind of scream your way to the top and then when you get there, you have to scre- keep screaming, so to speak, to, to stay on top. And um, there's a certain uh, group of people that I, that I do look up to, but that are um, in, that, in that upper, upper echelon in terms of perception. Uh, and then there's the other, the rest of us, right? There's the rest of us who may never or nor want to scream our way all the way to the, to the top. Um, and the funny thing about it is I've said, and especially with people, people like Rand, um, who I, who I do respect. And I know that he was, he was one of the focuses of some of your, your comments. Um, people like Juiced, who was absolutely the central focal point 
uh, of Yost, Yost Khan and, and the entire crux of the issue, he's, he's definitely not the only one, is, is that without people like that, and, and I'm not necessarily mentioning any of the female people for, for a reason, without people like that, um, I, people like me probably wouldn't have jobs today, but that doesn't excuse the behavior that, that is necessarily gone on. And it definitely, definitely doesn't. And um, I think the hard part for people like myself, um, especially as a non-conference person, um, is that it, it takes a certain amount of courage uh, to open yourself up like you did. Um, and I definitely commend you, commend you for, for that uh, and being willing to kind of take that, take that on. It does take a certain amount of, of, of courage and um, of spirit. And I, and, I don't, and I don't know that everybody necessarily has, has that courage. Um, and maybe they should. Um, I'm not going to argue whether it's right or wrong. Um, maybe people know that they could do more. I know that I could do, do more. Um, but I would also say that that type of behavior is so far from my um, own personal experience in, in the sense that I've never sexually harassed anybody. Um, I've never known anybody known that they did uh, sexually harass somebody as a, as a man to man. Um, I've never had a woman, save for my wife, who told me about a story like, 10 years before, five years before I met her. So it's like, okay, well, what can I do about that? I've never had a woman come to me and actively say, this just happened to me. Um, So I've never been put in a situation where I've had to react on the spot. And I hope that if I do, I react, or I hope that if and when that situation arises, that I react in an appropriate way, which is to say that I absolutely condemn and confront the behavior directly. Um, now I have known, I have known women who have just probably every woman has been sexually harassed because men are just pigs. Um, and, and all men, honestly, all, all men are pigs and we all know it. It's just that there's a certain subset uh, of men who choose to take it farther. And that's, that's really unfortunate and it gives the rest of us a bad name. Um, but yeah, I've never actually been in that situation. So I, I, I agree with your point in that absolutely everybody should speak up in that this should be um, this should be something that's that's at the forefront of people's minds because it's honestly disgusting behavior. But I, I do find it hard, especially personally, to sometimes have the courage to raise my voice, especially knowing the potential implications you face when you speak out against kind of that group of people that that are that are kind of circling the wagons the quote-unquote upper echelon um but the thing that i see and it's it's less um i don't know if it's 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 different um the thing that i see and and have experienced more personally is the lack of inclusion of women in seo in the upper management sort of sort of roles Um, i i know that there are a lot of really smart and much smarter than me, female SEOs. And I hate to even refer to them like that because they're just SEOs. Um, But my personal experience has been at several agencies, all of the upper, you know, manager, director, I've only met like one female director and that's complete, complete garbage. Um, And and I've, I've known for a fact that 
you know, some of the women were, were just being, being held down, um, being held down. And that's been something that I've personally been trying to fight against. So for me, that's the, what I can do better is to try to um, make sure that there's more inclusion, you know, within the actual, within the workplace and, and so on and so forth. And sometimes I, I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. And, uh, but that's, that's where I, I personally have chosen to kind of fight this, this equality, equality battle, um, and advocate, advocacy for women battle. But I don't know, that's my perspective. It's, it's a little bit different, but fundamentally I do agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Look, um, well, first of all, mm-hmm. it, it's terrific that you're doing that. And, um, I would encourage anyone listening, um, male or female, uh, to follow a woman called Kirsty Holtz, who, um, cut her teeth in SEO, but is doing much more greater things now. And is doing a lot of work actually around, um, not just helping women help themselves in a work environment, but actually helping men get rid of any kind of, you know, unconscious bias or prejudice that they might have in that same environment. And then also giving women and also, uh, men and anyone new to the industry, uh, the confidence and training and a voice to actually stand up and help themselves in it as well. So I'd 100% um, recommend listening to her on lots of things. She's also just a very funny woman when it comes to it at the end as well. She, I think she did stand up for a little while too, which is um, very, very fitting for her. So there's that. Um, let's go back on some of your other points that you made. What I did isn't brave. It, it, it's not look, I'm like, I, it took a little bit for me to speak out and I lost a bit of sleep over it. But you know, if we put it in perspective, it's not brave because actually what did I, what did I have to lose? I run my own agency. I run my own consultancy and I run my own website. So I didn't have the reputation <laughs> at stake uh, to speak out because I don't have one. Um, I didn't, you know, and I, I'm approaching it from someone who's never actually been abused in this way myself. I'm speaking as a, a man. I'm speaking as a white man. So it's actually a lot easier for me to say it and speak out. And so I don't think it is brave. It, it's a hell of a lot braver for people to admit they're wrong, which I think is a big thing. If, you know, and I understand that it's, you know, sometimes that's going to take a while for people to be forthcoming. But it's a hell of a lot braver for women or men or anyone who's been put in this position to speak out against the people who did it and also to speak up about the experience that they had. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like, even though I've now spoken to probably dozens of women, if not hundreds who've shared some experience with me since I put this out on the 7th of Feb. I don't know what it's like, but I know what it's like for my wife and I know what it's like for many women that I know who have been subjected to it. You I mean, you mentioned it in your um, reply there that, you know, we might not have direct experience, but you can, you can think of anyone that you know, and they have been subjected to this. Yeah. Yep. You put, you put, the, you put it in that way that men are pigs and you know, we are all Napoleons and snowballs and <laughs> we are, we are those things. It doesn't, but that always, I, I, I re- I almost remiss to use that term because it almost kind of trivializes it. Right. Right. But you know, like, and if you know someone who's been subjected to it and you know, someone that it might happen, like, and it might happen again, then you, I just feel like you need to do something about it. 
And this is one of the ways they tried to do about it. I love the way that you're trying to do about uh, what you're trying to do in the workplace. Um, and then, you know, what I hope to do in the future is, you know, take this uh, momentum, if you like, and actually then apply it to something that can be uplifting and beneficial to everyone. Yep. You know, it's, it, this conversation is not going to go any further if I kind of like sit here and continue what I was doing and then, you know, go on and on and rant and rant. Actually, something productive is now, something more productive has got to come out of this. That's hopefully something I'm working on, hopefully something I'll be able to announce this month. Um, it's interesting when you come back to the workplace environment because, well, it's one thing we need to talk about as well, which we've not really, is that, you know, we, we're speaking about the perspective of women here and how they've been overlooked or prejudiced against. You know, we've not talked about people of color at all. And it, this is going to be as applicable, if not even maybe more applicable to them um, in their work environments or where, where they are. Now, the fundamental problems is, is the same thing. It's some, it's people being prejudiced and, you know, I, I can't speak for the, uh, like the U S or Canada or anywhere else in the world, but I see a similar pattern uh, that you've seen in SEO with um, senior people, directors or head of people in SEO, um, a lack of women and a lack of people of color. Well, I could like, and I'm fine to admit this, look, the UK is institutionally sexist and it's institutionally racist, right? It's not like, it's not, it's like not, that's not saying like everyone is outward, outwardly racist or outwardly sexist, but institutionally in the sense that the way that things are set up in these companies, in these agencies or companies, wherever it is, who are the people at the top? Old, white, majority male. Mm-hmm. Who are the people making decisions to then promote people up? Old, white, majority male. Right. So whether you actually want to prejudice against someone or not, if you're not able to relate to an experience or life experience or situation that that person wants to tell you about in an interview, in a appraisal, if you've been somewhere for a while, if you can't relate or empathize, if you can't make that relation or that empathize or empathize with them on a situation that they've had because you're not a woman and you're not a person of color, you will not be having a fair crack of the whip in any kind of environment. So it's, I I say institutionally racist and institutionally sexist. I'm not actually putting blame on the people making decisions. I'm actually putting that if there's any blame to be had, it's the fact that we've not actually got more people like that in senior positions to help make it more representative. Like it's not going to be, if it's not representative, then you can't expect someone like, like me, right? I'm a, by all accounts, middle-class white male, British, went to a grammar school, which is like not a state educated, but not a private school. So it's, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have gone there. I'm not going to be able to relate to someone who um, grew up in South London, is black, went to a state school. I can I, I try to as much as I can, but I'm not going to understand their life story. I'm not going to understand their struggles and I'm not going to understand the impact that it's had and the, and the disadvantage that gives them in life that they have to overcome even to get to the same position that I am in. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just, I love people being rewarded on merits, but we have to be very careful about a myth of meritocracy, not just in SEO, but in work and everything that, you get to where you are because you work hard. And I want to believe that's true, but I got to where I am in this position that I am. And in this position, being able to speak to you because I am a white British male, 
right? I would not, I don't know if I would have had the quote unquote strength to speak out and speak to you like this or put that Twitter thread out there if I wasn't already in that position, that in, if I wasn't in that part of the genetic lottery, right? So that's the, like the, that's a fundamental thing. And it's, I just feel like if we want to get serious about tackling just this little portion of the work environment in our little industry is one of many, but if we want to get serious about it, we actually just got to open up and look at the, the actual like facts and then what we can do to help women, men, white, black, people of color to actually uh, give benefit to everyone in the industry, industry by making it fairer and more equal for everyone. 100%. Agree, and if it was a, uh, that's me clapping. <laughs> Absolutely agree. It, that that was uh, incredibly, incredibly well well put. Um, want to be respectful of your time, so two two more. Oh, I could go all night. I just want to be respectful of your time. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, this podcast, you know, everybody in SEO, all we ever put forward are our successes. But this podcast, I, I like to focus on the, the failures and what we learned from them. So tell me about a failure you've had as an SEO. Cool. How many have you, how much time have you got? I could go <laughs> on. <laughs> um, there was the time where at the launch of the 2014 Football World Cup, I was working with a betting website, which will remain nameless. <laughs> and I was conducting um, a screaming frog crawl on the website, let it run wild, and ultimately took down the mobile betting site of the portion of the website and the app nice. somehow, uh, because basically the app was just the mobile website. Um, I think maybe two hours before the World Cup started. Wow. <laughs> it, it was not a good, good thing. Um, it got fixed before the launch, thank goodness. And if you know a little bit about betting, um, even in 2014 and 2019, like especially now 2019, a lot of the company money is made on in-bet plays. So I was assured this isn't too disastrous. But when someone says this isn't too disastrous, that still means it's a, a portion of it is disastrous, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely a problem that I had. I'm going to, I'm going to need them to get better servers, right? If a screaming frog bot can take, can take a site down, I'm going to need them to get better servers and load balancers. That was my, that was my argument, but it didn't go very far at the time. Right. Uh, and I, I, I remiss, I, like, I, I regret using a naming screaming frog, but you know, Dan, you know, the guy heads it up. Um, mm -hmm. He'll tell you that, you know, it's the, it's the mini DDoS tool that, you, that any site can use. If you've not taken down a site using Screaming Frog, I don't think you've got your SEO wings yet. So, right. you know, um, so that's that's one failure. Um, oh, another failure. I mean, a number of failures actually with the e-commerce websites. And this is actually, it's an interesting thing which um, Distill talk about a lot. I think um, Will uh, Kritschko, uh, Kritschko um, is going to talk about it soon. And I know Tom Cap has talked about it. Um, with their uh, distilled ODN tool, which is um, you know basically the kind of it's what people are now calling edge SEO, where you can make changes yeah. on. That, that's, that's one of those areas where I'm like, holy crap, I don't know about that. I, I, I get it a little bit. That's one of those areas we were talking about earlier, where I'm feeling like 
a little taken aback because this is the new quote unquote thing. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Shiny box syndrome for me. Right. Now it's got a name as well. I'm like, oh my God. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I don't, I still don't know what I'm talking about, but um, I would look at some of the stuff that these, the sealed guys are putting out. I'd look at um, Dan Taylor as well. Mm -hmm. um, a guy who's, who's writing some really nice stuff on edge SEO. Uh, but basically yeah, a lot of their information was talking about um, a lot of, I think Tom Kappa's deck, um, maybe at search level, I'm not sure was talking about uh, kind of typical SEO best practices that they employed using distilled ODN and then they measured any kind of um, impact or lack thereof. So I thought, Oh, that was really, really cool. Um, and then I saw one of their charts where they put in, they changed, uh, they changed the way that um, additional content is shown. I think they removed um, a read more little JavaScript snippet and then they made everything kind of show on page, uh, you know, in full and one of their charts went up and to the right. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this, this is definitive proof. I will do the same thing. And so I, uh, I did it and, um, it didn't work and it, <laughs> it didn't work. And so I, I just went, Oh, this is amazing. And, and instead of, you know, just enthusiasm got the better of me instead of doing it in maybe isolation, like, Oh, I'm going to do this for a couple of category pages. I pretty much did it on an entire site. <laughs> Um, cause it was easier to change the template to remove it for all pages rather than one. And I got lazy completely. I, I got, you know, I, I saw the graph, which was definitely not the intention of the graph as well. I hastened to add before anyone distilled comes to shout at me. Um, and then, uh, it just, it failed miserably. It failed miserably. Like we're talking like it, I thought it was going to be the extra, you know, from takers to like position two or three to one. And we're talking like two, three to seven, which is just, you know, a, an aberration. Um, funny enough, reverted back and it went back to where it was. So I thought that was interesting in itself. But yeah, it, the lesson to be learned there is um, <laughs> never, or you can only trust your own data. Get out there and test, but, you know, for goodness sake, do it in isolation. In, in for you, what were the... Um what were the ramifications in terms of your relationship with the people you were working with and doing that work on behalf of? Well, I'm lucky because we had, I've got a good working relationship with them. I have brought them success. So when I did that and things didn't go well, I was, I had the confidence enough to say like, look guys, this hasn't worked well, but the ramifications actually is that I was working on a part performance based model where, you know, um, organic search attributed sales, um, went as part of my basically commission. So I didn't get much for commission that month. I could take it that much. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that was one example, which I'm still kicking myself for. Do, do you work on performance-based models with all your clients or is that like a special uh, agreement? Cause I've, I've seen that in the past, but I, I tend to shy away from, from that. And I know agencies that I've worked at have only because, it, it either works out really well for the client or really well <laughs> for the, 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 the agency or the consultant. And, and it seems like it, no, but it never is in the middle where both parties are happy. I don't know. How, how's that working out for you? Yeah. Well, so never do it within the, I've never, well, I've personally never done it in the first six months of a working relationship because that period you're still working out the site, working out the client, working out how you're going to best communicate and then obviously just 
putting your actual work to the test. So, you, you know, in, in all fairness, if you see a big increase in sales and organic traffic after one or two months of working someone, that's not you, that's something else, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that seems a bit disingenuous anyway. So get that kind of groundwork in. Then either the contract you have transitions to a part performance model or you, you know, make a new contract at the end of a six-month period, maybe you have a break clause and then you kind of reevaluate. Um, it's never a full-on part performance, uh, 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 sorry, performance model for me. It's always a, okay, so if this was the retainer and the number of hours that I was doing before or the agency was doing before, uh, we will do the same number of hours. Uh, we'll do a discounted rate for those hours, so, i.e. your retainer goes down, and then it will be X percent of attributed sales to organic over a certain amount. And so over that certain amount is basically your benchmark for the last six months. So if you know that, keep it really simple. Someone's doing a thousand dollars worth of sales on average six months. Um, basically your percentage is the incremental that you give, um, on top of that. So, you know, then we're increasing it to $2,000 a month. We will get a percentage of that incremental $1,000. That's basically how we work it. It seems like a pretty good, it seems like a pretty good uh, fit for all parties very rarely do we do that, but it's, I, I think it's, um, I think it's a really interesting thing to try out. I think the fact that you're putting your money where your mouth is means a lot to the client, but you know, you're not completely shooting yourself in the foot by, you know, um, completely doing away with a retainer and the hours, but you're just saying, look, if we can actually give you incremental growth from here on, you know, we'll, based off performance on that, you know, it's a pretty compelling argument. And if you've got that kind of groundwork in place, you've seen how everything works and you've seen how the competition is, et cetera, you can make that judgment for yourself and, and go for it. And I'd encourage people to try it, like at least with one client, um, just see how it goes. If you can take that little hit, you know, what's the worst thing that happens if, you know, you don't see any kind of significant incremental. Um, so you miss out on, maybe what 20, 30% of what your normal retainer would do. If you could factor in that risk, then, then go for it. You might be really pleasantly surprised. And I'll tell you this for, you know, for a fact, every client that we've transitioned to, or I've transitioned to on a personal level, still work with them because we've got a really grown up relationship when it comes to retainers. Yeah. I think my, my only fear, because it sounds, it's sounds, it, on the surface, it sounds awesome. If I'm thinking business-wise, and this, the question I was going to ask you is, do you find that you chase those accounts a little bit harder in terms of the amount of time that you spend, or do you do you spend the same amount of time that you would on a non-performance you know performance bonus uh, account? And the only reason I say that is because I guess I can just imagine myself running harder and then forgetting to count all these extra hours that I spent, you know, when you're factoring up all the extra potential money that, that you could potentially get. But that would be, that would be my only hesitation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you just, I, you have to be straight with yourself. I mean, the only way you get around it is, you know, you don't want to compromise what it actually means to your other clients or your own projects. So uh, yeah, I would say, and this probably isn't hundred percent true, but I would say that I spend the same amount of hours when I'm on that than I was beforehand, just because in all fairness, I have to make it, you know, fair for everyone else that I work with, including myself reality. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe you do kind of chase it a little bit harder, but 
you've got to, you've got to be really, st- I mean, time management is probably like an SEO's biggest challenge. It's not mm. even SEO itself. It's time management. So this is a good test of that as well. I mean, you can get this right. That, that will really help you in the future. Um, but it's also why I say, you know, you do that six months and maybe it's longer for you. Maybe you do it after a year, but you do that six month of, you know, groundwork, you know, understanding the client, understanding their site, their competition, understanding your working relationship, because that's obviously going to evolve and how best you communicate. And then moving to a parts performance-based model, you know, once you've got a pretty good idea of um, what the search landscape is. And then of course, Sod's Law, Google will release an update the week after and completely throw things up in the air. Mm-hmm. Of course it will, but you, that's, that's part of learning. That's part of, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to try something different and, you know, you get out of your comfort zone. You feel like I've got to chase it a little bit, but then actually then your next comfort zone is no, no, no. I've got to rein it in. Uh, you know, I've got to actually do the correct amount of hours. I've got to spend time on these other projects, you know, and that's all part of your development. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think it's one, it's definitely worthwhile. So who is your biggest mentor and who has been your biggest mentor in the industry? Well, <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't say anyone's been a mentor as in like we've had a one-on-one um, or a chat. I mean, any, any kind of like one-on-one mentors I've had on in this industry until they're, they're people in my life, they're the close people in my life uh, to actually get me out of this industry to give me perspective because the industry is work and, you know, I feel like the only way I need mentoring quote unquote is in if I need to talk to someone is actually getting out of that environment and then looking at the rest of my life and then seeing, am I in the right balance here or is something going terribly wrong? And, you know, sometimes it does get terribly wrong, but, um, you know, so that in that kind of mentoring, it's, it's completely outside of SEO inside of SEO in terms of people that I want to engage with as much as possible because I really respect their opinion and their point of view. There's a, there's, well, there's a number I'll, I'll rattle off a few. There's, there's John Henry Shirk. Um, who's just a bit of a, a genius, I think, when it comes to not just SEO and not just B2B, but just in terms of like a marketing outlook in general and how he's actually, that that's someone who has, well, I think, he maybe tell you otherwise, has a fantastic understanding of client-company relationship and what it is that you bring and what it is that you're expected to bring and what it is that you need, you know, basically what you can bring to the table and what you can do to help them and how to do it. He's absolutely fantastic at that. You throw in the fact that he's obviously very good at SEO. I mean, very good as an understatement. So that's definitely someone. It's AJ Cohn. Cohn, uh, Cohn, I think it's AJ, uh, K-O-H. Line, line five-year-old, is that his website? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just a brilliant, brilliant uh like uh, SEO kind of mind in terms of I have a bias here because I tend to agree with a lot of stuff he says, obviously. And then I've actually had a really strong bias towards him lately because if you um, go into my thoughts about EAT or EAT, you'll see they're not exactly complimentary. And AJ seems to subscribe to that as well. So I know I have a bias on that, but he, you know, the way that he's actually been able to articulate a lot of the theory behind uh, search and particularly without around user intent, I think it's really, really interesting. Just that ability to actually write it and articulate it, I think is really, 
really, really valuable. And I've been lucky enough actually to speak to him a little bit on in DMs and stuff. And um, he's actually, a, you know, not just a fountain of knowledge, he's extremely good at being able to show it to you on a one-on-one basis as well. So I would definitely follow um, him. Um, I put out a, there's a little thread I put out um, on International Women's Day of Women um, that I really kind of uh, learned from not just in this industry, but, um, that's going on. Um, I'll try and, I'll try and dig that up, but a few of the names on there, actually a couple of names that I've already spoken about. That's, uh, Jane Copeland. There's, uh, Giselle Navarro. There is, um, uh, Rhea Drisdale. There is, uh, uh, there's a woman on there called Amanda Orson. Um, I can't exactly remember the company that she works on, but again, she is really, really, articulate in being able to give a whole kind of marketing perspective to just SEO or then to something else um, really helps you get the entire picture and the entire landscape. And we've never really actually spoken at all. I've like maybe tweeted her a few times, uh, but it's just someone I really, really respect and admire um, in what she does. So I'll leave it at that because it, it, it could go on a long time, but mm-hmm. yeah, those are a few people that I'd look out for. So I, I feel like you've riddled, or not riddled, uh, you, you've added a lot of div, um, advice into the entire discussion that we've had. But if you could, um, I guess, boil it all down to one thing for somebody that is this year, this very moment, getting into SEO, what would you tell them? Speak up, be brash. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to share your convictions in terms of, you know, if you believe that's what's happening, then say it, go out and say it. And then don't be too worried if people agree with you or disagree with you. The more people that disagree with you, the more information that you've got in order to base your testing from. And that's the second thing is just test. Test and test and test and test and test. But, you know, do that in isolation on with your own clients, your own company website. I encourage you to go out there and build a really simple Amazon affiliate website in whatever kind of niche or industry, or niche if you're American. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> like if it, to be able to apply it because you can take all the learnings and all the good stuff in SEO and all the bad stuff that's written about SEO. And it doesn't mean a lick of difference until you've got your own data. And then that, and that can change when it comes to keywords that can change when it comes to topics and that can change when it comes to just countries and SERPs and everything. What works for you on one site is not going to work for you on the other site. And it doesn't seem like there's any logic behind it, but that's the way it is. So get out there and test it, record it, share it, speak proudly about what you know, and don't, you know, don't feel like you need to get the approval of other people to share it. Um, and then because the more people that we have sharing their voice and the more people we have actually challenging the norm the better off that everyone is in an industry um so yeah get out there and do it and if you want help if anyone's listening to this and they want help and how to just get started and get up and running then you know my dms are on twitter are open please send me a dm please send me an email via my website be more than happy to help more than happy to encourage um and that's it just keep encouraging yourself and get people around you that will encourage you to do the testing that this industry needs. So speaking of your DMS, where can people find you? 
you can find me at uh, TJP Rayner on Twitter. That's uh, uh, R-A-Y-N-E-R. I was going to do the phonetic alphabet, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Tango Jack of the Box. Right, I, I right. Get it right. So that's Twitter. You can find me at um, uh, Raynonomics.com. So that's Rayner again. And then N-O. Oh, hold on. Yeah, N-O-N. I am, oh, radonomics.com. <laughs> oh, dear. The contact form's on there. My email address is tom at radonomics.com. That's a challenge, right? You have to be able to spell my own website in order to find me because clearly I can't. <laughs> That's your way of filtering filtering out the crazy people. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't need, I don't need Akismet or like any kind of spam filter. I just can't remember my website. So <laughs> try that. But Twitter, like DMs are open. You don't have to be following me. So you could try me on there. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your, um, your answers and your candidness. Really, um, really awesome to have you on. So definitely appreciate it. Uh, no worries, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Um, definitely going to be listening to your back catalog as well. Starting with Nick Eubanks. Love that guy. But uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms, including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecasts, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated if you're an seo who would like to be interviewed i'd love to have you simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up until next time happy optimizing